Is it really that important to eat organic? What is conscious parenting? Does homeopathy actually work? Oh, God, the flu. How do I beat it naturally? How do I prepare for birth? What are the benefits of meditation? This is Healthy Happy Home, the podcast community that offers discussions and solutions for a fully conscious and integrative approach to living and parenting. We will explore and open up the topics of natural health and well-being, holistic parenting, consciousness and work-life balance to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. We're so grateful that you're joining us on this journey. We'd love it if you could take the time to rate, review and subscribe. It will help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller. Mega Home are kindly offering listeners of the Healthy Happy Home podcast a 5% discount. Just use the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home. Looking for a wellness break in the UK? Well, you're in the right place. At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness and health. Relax, reconnect and re-energise on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk. Healthy Happy Home and we're just headed into week eight of lockdown and we're very glad that you're with us. We've had a bit of time off because Lauren was not well but we'll talk about that in a second. I did an episode last week with Scott Stevenson which um, if you haven't heard it check it out. He's a mindset specialist and we talked about how to use tapping to reduce anxiety and this week's episode is really fascinating as well. We're really excited about it. And Lauren is back with us, which is great. And you're looking really good. Tell us about what you've been Thank through. It's been you. traumatic, isn't it? Yeah, it's been a traumatic few weeks. I was um, navigating trigeminal neuralgia, which took a while to get a diagnosis for, but um, getting the diagnosis was actually life-changing. And then um, understanding that I had to find a holistic way forward after being told that it's something that's only dealt with using antidepressants and anti-epilepsy drugs and meanwhile the universe sent me a holistic neurologist yeah amazing of course you found one that's so brilliant yep only me um so I saw her and she was kind of the first step towards this holistic healing from from this thing and then I put together a whole protocol um for kind of nerve health for the nervous system and and found my way through it so literally within a couple of weeks yeah i can't wait to hear about we're going to do a little episode on that next actually so we can learn uh we can all hear about what all the different things you use like cbd and cranial osteopathy and brilliant yeah it was like i'm so excited to share this protocol with people um because i think a lot of from what i've gathered through sharing about this trigeminal neuralgia so many people suffer with it and it's called um the medical world dubs it the suicide pains which is I can totally understand because I wanted to kill myself and I've never felt like that. Like I've never been in that much pain and you couldn't speak or eat or do I couldn't speak. I couldn't, when I was having an attack, I couldn't open my, like I couldn't move my mouth and I couldn't swallow or control anything in my mouth. So I would just have to sit there like drooling for like 20 minutes while it lasted. But anyway, we're going to, so that's how severe it was. So I'm really, really excited and actually grateful 
to the universe for sending me this opportunity to be able to share with people a yeah. protocol that worked and got me through it quickly. And it's probably something I'm going to have to deal with. You know, it's going to come back. But it's all about treating the nervous system. So it's not just for trigeminal neuralgia. I think my protocol will be great for anyone dealing with anything kind of nervous system related but yeah we're going to do that that will be the next episode so we're excited to do that for you yeah and this week's episode is with dr nyan eccles and he was amazing he taught us all about bioidentical hormones and alternative um thing to use except a mammogram which is the thermography which is amazing for our breast health right so that's i know I, it was an amazing episode. I'm so excited for everyone to listen to it because most of our listeners are women and most of our listeners are women between the ages of 30 to 50. So I think it's really important for us all to understand about breast health, about breast cancer prevention. And he created this uh, thermocheck system which can detect breast cancer cells six to 10 years before mammograms can without any of the risks associated with mammography so yeah and and 90 percent uh you know effectiveness so much more effective than um, yeah than a mammography at, at finding out whether you have these nasty things don't they and like you said years in advance and i loved also that he talks about the nutrition advice that he gives people if they do if he does find out find things that are not quite yeah. right which is great he's always yeah, because they're finding out so so um so much sooner than they would with a mammogram so there are options natural options that you don't feel as kind of pressured a lot of people if they get diagnosed with breast cancer right have to be aggressive and you know with this way you can just go in with a natural approach and understand how to stop the, the cancer cells from mutating and reproducing so yeah, yeah it's like a sort of early warning detection isn't it so you can yeah. See it come if it is possibly coming, and I love that you can do something about it with your and like taking iodine, your recommends, and all kinds of stuff. So, anyway, everyone's going to enjoy it very much. And he was very charming to talk to as well, wasn't he? He was, and he was kind enough also to offer listeners of the Healthy Happy Home podcast a 15% discount for his treatments that we speak about in the show. So, um, if you listen to the show and you're interested in that, then give them a call um, all the details of uh, how to get into contact with him are in the show notes below, but the code that you will need is HHH0705 and you can get that 15% discount. Brilliant. I've already recommended him to loads of people actually. So I'm going to tell them about the code. That's great. We should, we'll definitely, all go, I, I can't wait to go. I know uh, you're, you're definitely going to go on you. You are really, I'm so it. I'm so up for it. We all should, I should go as well. I love that. What do you talked about with the hormones? You know, how you could just tweak them and how there's natural alternatives to HRT because that's just like brilliant. I mean, you know, it's just what everyone needs to hear. So yeah. And we, we, we know, we've all heard all those stories about HRT and you know, the risks involved. So yeah. Anyway, so we're excited for you to hear this episode and we really hope that it's as expansive for you as it has been for us. So we'll just get straight into it. Okay, fantastic. Enjoy. So today we are very honoured to have Dr. Nigel Eccles as our guest. And following his double doctorates in medicine and pharmacology, Dr. Eccles has worked as a general and natural medicine physician with special interest in supportive nutritional treatments that promote well-being, recovery and anti-aging. He has brought several product innovations to the field of nutrition and anti-aging medicine. He is also one of the UK's leading experts in bioidentical hormones. As the medical director of The Natural Doctor in Harley Street, London, he has become one of Europe's leading clinicians involved in breast thermography as a non-invasive tool for early detection of breast cancer and for this purpose has developed Thermocheck, a computer-assisted breast thermography system. Some of his time is spent in research 
and he has authored many reviews on a wide range of topics related to natural medicine and is in frequent demand as a public speaker. He's listed in the who's who in the world for outstanding achievement in his field. So Dr. Eccles, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's nice to be with you and thanks for the introduction. Oh, you're very welcome. So we wanted you on the show because we have a lot of listeners who've asked us about tips in, um, for menopause over the last few months. Lots of interest surrounding female hormones. So we're pretty sure that everyone's going to really love what you're here to speak about. But what you do covers such a broad range of subjects. So we thought that, <clears throat> sorry, thought that maybe we could begin by you talking us through exactly what it is you do. Okay, uh, well, I'll give you the shortened version because there's quite a few things, but uh, there are three main areas that I'm involved with. Uh, one would be, as you just said, bioidentical hormone replacement. So this is the use of of hormones which are exactly the same structure that our body produces as opposed to synthetic forms of hormones and I'm quite happy to explain the distinction between those and the difference in effect. But so I'm involved in, in, in bioidentical hormone replacement. Uh, that in itself is a very interesting component of the broader topic of better aging or anti-aging medicine because there's a general view amongst us anti-aging physicians that one of the key triggers to the aging process is hormonal decline. And this happens in women at menopause quite abruptly. In men, it's a little bit more of a gentle decline and they don't notice it, or, or let's put it this way, it's not as intrusive in, as mm -hmm. much in men as it is in women. But, but there is a general consensus that uh, if you really want to address the aging process, you've got to factor in the hormonal decline and, and correct those hormonal deficiencies because many of the hormones give you more youthful function. So they don't just stop symptoms of menopause, they actually enable your tissues, whether it's brain, bone, skin, to actually be more youthful. That's what they do when you're younger and it's what they fail to do when they decline. So the real question is, how can you replace those deficient hormones in a way that's not dangerous over time? That's the key issue. And that's why I think bioidentical hormones have come to bear here as opposed to conventional hormone therapy. So both in the context of menopause symptom relief and in doing that in a safe way, the bonus to that is that you get the anti-aging benefits of the hormones as well over a longer period of time. So those, that's sort of two topics in one. And then the other thing um, is, is this breast health uh, issue. How can women reduce their, their risk of breast cancer? Uh, and the challenge to that is, well, um, how can we detect a problem with the breast sooner than we are with mammography? That's one issue. And that's where I think breast thermography, when it's done correctly, gives us an earlier detection advantage. And the second part to that story is, okay, well, if you have a woman who is at risk, how do you lower that risk? And, and my research has led me to look at some key nutrients which are very much involved in keeping breast tissue healthy and lowering risk of breast cancer. Uh, and unfortunately, um, this, this message is not really getting out in mainstream medicine because we're very much, one of my, one of my criticisms of my own field, which is, which is medicine, is that we're, we're too reactive. Mm. You know, we, when a problem presents, we look at the best ways to fix it. Well, 
very often in my experience uh, and in most other people's experience, that's too late. You know, the, we're, we're closing the, the door after the horse is bolted, really. You know, when a disease is established, that really is uh, late in the day. So very much uh, part of what I do at The Natural Doctor is, is focused around much earlier detection of disease process and arresting that process before it becomes clinically significant. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and in, in that, under that umbrella, I would put using breast, uh, using thermocheck breast thermography, early detection, identify women who are at greater risk before they have a tumor in their breast, and then correct the, the abnormalities in the breast tissue using usually nutritional um, uh, means. And I, I can explain that a bit more, some of the things that I've found work. Uh, in women that have come for thermograms and then we've checked them again six months later. I think that I think we're onto something extremely significant there because we've shown, or we are showing that we can change the breast physiology to one of lower risk over a period of six months. And that was really exciting. I, I agree. So let's open that up a little bit and start with sure. talking about breast cancer and breast cancer yeah. prevention and thermography. And then we'll go into the bioidentical hormone side of things a bit later. Okay. Sure. Um, so I, I heard about you because I was researching thermography mm-hmm. um, when I'd read a book by um, Peter Gotch um, of the Cochrane Collaboration who wrote a book about um, the risks um, surrounding mammograms. Yeah. And obviously this is, you know, huge news. A lot of people don't believe a lot of women are saying, well, of course I'm going to go for my mammogram. Um, and it's being met um, with, you know, a lot of anger when I talk to people about the risks of mammograms. So tell us about the risks. Cause I know it's something you talk about a lot, the risks involved with mammograms um, the difference between that and thermography and what thermography is actually doing. Cause it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, well, First of all, the principle of mammography is that we, the breast tissue is exposed to X-rays, uh, ionizing radiation. And uh, the principle of it is we're looking for something that's big enough to block enough X-rays so that you see it on the image. If it's not big enough, you won't see it. And the resolution of detection with a mammogram is, is something about one centimeter in size, reliably. Sometimes you can pick something up half a centimeter in size but usually the cutoff is about one centimeter. Um, By the time it's that size, it's 500 million cancer cells. It's probably been developing for six to 10 years to reach that size. So the first problem with mammography I see, and this is often not talked about, and we'll talk about some of the other disadvantages. Other, you know, it's, it's not actually doing what we set Uh, out to do with it, which is to save women's lives and to save breasts. It's not achieving that. In fact, we're finding that the risks outweigh the benefits. But before we talk about that, and and specifically, the problem, one of the problems I see with mammograms is that it's it's too late a detection. If you have to wait till something's big enough to block enough x-rays to see on a plate, and then you act, Mm -hmm. that's too late. And the other thing to say about uh, that is uh, we know from wide excision surgery, when a woman has uh, a lump removed, they, of, they will often not just take the lump, they'll take uh, some surrounding tissue uh, from around the lump as well. 
And that's uh, and that what we call as a, a wide excision surgery to remove what we think is a single lump on a mammogram. In two thirds of cases, and this has been published, two thirds of cases, we find multifocal deposits of cancerous tissue in the surrounding area that's been removed, the surrounding mm -hmm. tissue, when we thought that there was a single lesion. Yeah. So in two thirds of cases, two thirds of women present with single. So in other words, uh, mammography is too late. Yeah. Detection tool. It, it's already spreading outside the area by the time we, we're detecting it. We've got to do better than that. So the other thing to say is, is from all the studies now up to date, and this is what Peter Gurch, uh, as you know, argues in his book, uh, based on all the science, there is no evidence that mammography is saving lives. Mm. In fact, yeah. for every one life saved over a 10 year period, 10 women have unnecessary treatment for cancers that wouldn't have harmed them because they're low grade and 200 women will get false positives. So they'll have the psychological distress of being given a false positive. And that, those are the stats based on, on published science. How does it be, be a false positive then? Is it what they see that a lump, which is then not cancerous, that they Correct. think is cancerous? Correct. Yeah. There's a lump that may look cancerous, uh, turns out not to be in the end because they'll do a biopsy or they'll remove the lump. Uh, but, but for every one life safe, 200 women will get a false positive diagnosis like that. So it's a lump that appears to be cancerous, but isn't. Turns out not to be. But, you know, that psychological distress that women undergo can go on, can drag on for months and years. And there are studies on that. Um, so, so those are the downsides of mammography. Too late detection. It's not doing, from the science, it's not doing what we, it was set out to do, which was to be an early detection tool. On top of that, it's offered to women of, as you know, in UK, you have to be 50. Well, a third of breast cancers are now occurring in women under the age of 50, and they're not screened. So the other, that's another issue. Now, the, the problem around that is that, is that you, we don't want to be using ionizing radiation in women who are still not menopausal because their breast tissue is more sensitive to the radiation. So on the one hand, it, it would, you know, you think, well, okay, let's start screening uh, sooner. The problem with that is the, the breast tissue is more sensitive to the radiation when women are younger. And secondly, the breast tissue is denser, so it's harder to see an abnormality. So to use mammography in, in women younger than 50 is not the right approach either. Um, so where does that leave us? It leaves us with looking at another modality to try and look for abnormality in the breast before the structure appears. And that's where I think breast thermography comes in because we're not looking for structural change, but we're looking for heat changes which precede the structural change. So we know that early cancers generate heat. Um, we don't, um, we don't yet know how soon in the etiology of a cancer they start to generate that heat, but they do it before there is, they become an established structure. So therefore, so by detecting some of these heat abnormalities in the breast tissue, it gives us an early detection possibility because we're looking for these changes that precede the structural change that we see on a mammogram. So that's the basic principle of, of thermography. Um, now, it has to be done correctly. And over the years, it has evolved uh, by the use of more sophisticated, highly sensitive digital infrared cameras. 
And the idea is you're, you're picking up heat coming from the breast. There's nothing goes in, so there's no radiation exposure. You're picking up infrared changes coming from the breast tissue. So these were using sophisticated infrared cameras. It's like having your picture taken, but, but with an infrared camera rather than a, than a digital camera. So nothing goes in. There's no compression involved, which is the other issue with, with mammograms, is when you press a breast, when you squash a breast between two plates, which is what you do uh, for, to, have, to achieve a mammogram, what, is, what if you have, um, if there's a tumor there that you can't feel and you're squashing it between two plates? There's a lot of debate uh, over whether that could help spread uh, uh, tumor cells from the site just by compressing it. Uh, and there is some evidence that that is the case um, with some uh, studies that have been done with circulating epithelial cells, which increase in the bloodstream after mammography. So that would suggest that the compression is, is spreading cells out. So there are, there are some real concerns about the compression of mammography and whether that could be serving to actually spread an existing tumor that you may not even feel. And it's interesting as well because there are people know that sometimes the tests aren't right, aren't they? So say in my instance, I don't think I would go for a mammogram because I would think actually I would, the chance of it being wrong and the chance of it doing some damage, I would rather not go. And so there's be a lot of women that actually won't be going as well, which is a shame as well, because then they may need, may have needed to be screened. So what you're offering is much more, oh, much more useful, isn't it? Well, there's another side to it as well, and that, that is a very important point you're making. And that is that if you have a normal mammogram, it doesn't mean you have healthy breast tissue. It just means that you've got nothing structurally abnormal there. Whereas if you have a normal thermogram, which is looking at, at his subtle heat changes at breast physiology, not breast structure, you're, it, you can say with more confidence that that woman has healthy breast tissue. Yeah, so there's Are the you difference. looking at it? Is it a cellular thing? Because I know what's the breast uh, thermography is able to detect breast cancer cells something like 10 years before a mammogram can, right? We think based on the science, six to 10 years. So, what, what we're looking, what the heat is generated by is two things. Cancer cells are highly metabolic. So, that high metabolism or higher metabolism than normal cells generates more heat. That's one thing that that flags heat. The other thing is, is uh, based on the fact that the new blood vessel formation that occurs to nurture a tumor's growth, that process we call angiogenesis, it's a process which is triggered by the cancer cells themselves to nurture their own growth. That new circulation also flags as heat. So there are two things, high metabolism and new circulation angiogenesis creates heat. So we're looking for those two processes. And can you identify the two processes with the, with the, no, no, no just you can't differentiate. Right. We're just looking, we, but if you have heat on in one breast that's not seen in the other, then uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's cancer, of course, because infection or inflammation can cause heat. But yeah. on the list of possibilities is that that could be something abnormal developing. And so how do you then test the, like you said, to use nutrition to then rebalance the, the quality of the breast tissue? So that, that's so interesting. How, how does that work? 
So about eight years ago, I researched um, some key nutrients uh, that I thought might impact on breast tissue. And, the, and what we did with women that had abnormal thermograms, we got them to, we have a, a sort of a home uh, test kit that, that women can test some key nutrients from home. And they are, I'll tell you what they are, the vitamin D, <clears throat> iodine, and, uh, and also the way a woman metabolizes her estrogens. And uh, I don't know if we have time to go into the third one uh, and why that's relevant to breast health, but um, the, short, the short story behind that is that women produce, women metabolize estrogens down two pathways. One produces toxic estrogens and the other doesn't. And if because of the woman's genes, she's a toxic estrogen producer, uh, and that just means that she's producing more toxic than non-toxic or the balance is in favor of the toxic. There is a nutritional way of switching that so that a woman will then start to produce the non-toxic estrogens that are not damaging her breast tissue. And that's essentially revolving around things like um, the cruciferous vegetables. So broccoli, kale, cabbage, cauliflower, watercress, sprouts. All of those are, contain these crucifers, these indole compounds, which have the ability to switch gene expression yeah. so that a woman will flip from a toxic estrogen producer to a non-toxic estrogen producer. I actually call those, uh, th those families of nutrients women's breast friends. <laughs> that's so I know funny. that's a bit corny, but, <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> but, but actually that's one of the things that they do is they, they help women detoxify estrogens and stop them having a toxic effect on their breast tissue. Should they be those women who uh, their genes are set that way? You see, we've tested for that. <clears throat> so the, the, to continue that story, sorry. Um, uh, so vitamin D, iodine. Iodine also critical for women's breast health. Yeah. We don't un fully so. understand why, but, it, but breasts love iodine. Yeah. And, the, and, and, and there, are, there are various theories behind that. But, but women's breasts love iodine. Men's prostates like it as well. Um, and 50% of Europeans are deficient in, <clears throat> in iodine now. And you can, take that as, you can take that as a supplement, can't you, iodine? You can. Yeah. I've been recommended to take but You it. do have to be careful with overdoing it on iodine because of thyroid and everything well, that's connected to that, right? Yes and no. Apparently it's good because then it goes into your respiratory, it, the, any excess goes into your respiratory, which is really good for killing flus and things like that. So ah, that's you're, hit, you're hitting on, on a very important point here. First of all, <clears throat> those of us who actually use iodine as physicians have rarely, if, if at all, seen a toxic effect of iodine on the thyroid. Yeah. Uh, and I have colleagues who use, uh, who use iodine doses much higher than I recommend, you know, 50 milligrams or even higher. That's quite high. So the point you just made, Tilly, is, is, is a really important one, which is that when it, we think it takes about three milligrams to saturate the thyroid, three milligrams of iodine. What that means is that unless you take more than that, you won't get the other effects of iodine all of that will be taken up by the thyroid. Mm. So we know that the Japanese routinely on a daily basis take in their food about 13 milligrams of iodine. And that's a vast amount more than we take in in the West. So as a general guide, 
if you were to take 13 milligrams of iodine or thereabouts, you would only be taking in what the Japanese routinely take in, in their diet anyway. And they don't appear to have any toxic effects on their thyroid. So um, as, a, as a good ballpark recommendation, if you take anywhere up to that amount, you're, not gonna, you're definitely not gonna do any harm, but you will do a lot of good over and above the three milligrams that it takes to saturate your thyroid gland. Yeah. So in my ex clinical experience with women who have abnormal thermograms, if we correct low iodine and we correct low vitamin D and we detoxify their estrogens, I've found that I can normalize 90% of, abnorm of abnormal thermograms over a six month period by doing that. Wow. So now that's not making a claim. It's just from a, from a breast physiology perspective, what we're saying is, these women had abnormal physiology to, to begin with. We don't know what that was. It could have been inflammation. It could have been more than that. It could have been some infection, blocked lymphatic. We don't know. But if we take those women and we are proactive about these key nutritional elements over a six-month period, the majority of those will have normalized. So in my head, that means high risk going to low risk. And do any of those women when you're saying they come with abnormal, um, they end up having abnormal results, but you're not, it's not necessarily a tumor. Do you have any women that come to you with the very start of a tumor that might be smaller than what would be picked up on a mammogram, but it's actually, you can see a tumor and then you're able to work with them from that. Because yeah, obviously by, if they were to go, if they would do, do it by mammograms they that wouldn't have been detected yet no, so they'd have correct. to wait till it got bigger and then <clears throat> correct it's good chemo, yeah. yeah so so this is one of the dilemmas is that if you have an abnormal thermogram uh if if you send a woman for a for a, a mammogram or an mri depending on the age of the woman or an ultrasound it might be that those structural scans come back normal that they have an abnormal thermogram so that's where we get proactive because we say, okay, well, there's nothing to be lost by you taking these key nutrients over the next six months and come back and rescan you. Now, what, a, what if a woman presents uh, with a lump in her breast and has an abnormal thermogram? Now, that woman definitely needs a structural scan, okay, in order to verify if that lump is something sinister or not. It might not be still, even if she has a lump and she has an abnormal thermogram, it might just be a, uh, an inflamed fibroadenoma. Yeah, so an inflamed benign lesion in the breast. So, but a woman that presents with a structural change in her breast and an abnormal thermogram needs to be investigated further. So it's important to say that um, if she has, if, if, the other thing to say is there are different levels of thermal abnormality in the breast. We rate breasts one to five, one and two is normal, three is equivocal, four, there's two thermal abnormalities, five, there's three, we don't rate above five. So the higher the thermal rating in the breast, the more likely it is that she needs further investigation. Yeah? But I've seen a, a lot of fours uh, and some fives and, and many threes go back to normal in six months just by intervening nutritionally. Wow. So I know uh, I was just thinking it and I'm, I reckon probably some other people might be asking if they wanted to start taking iodine, 
is there a specific supplement you recommend is there a specific dosage you would recommend uh yeah i'm a uh, i'm a big fan of of lugol's iodine which is readily available it's a liquid iodine and it's available in different percentages so one percent is one milligram that's a little bit low I think you have to go to 5% to get 5 milligrams or even 12% I use a lot, which is 12 milligrams. So one drop of a 12% Lugol solution is actually 12 milligrams of, okay. of iodine. And it's cheap. It's really cheap. Yeah, I just um, ordered some. It's like ten a tenner. Yeah, it's yeah. nothing. Uh, and, and a bottle usually will last you six months. You know, it, it really is worth the investment. Yeah. Uh, even if you haven't had a thermogram, if you're interested in protecting your breast tissue, I would say just doing that and optimizing your vitamin D level mm. are two of the most important things women can do to lower their risk of breast cancer. Yeah, it's a really proactive approach and it's something I'm quite passionate about because I actually get quite annoyed when these things go around Facebook, share this heart for breast cancer awareness and I'm thinking that's not going to help anyone prevent breast cancer. Um, let's stop using toxic deodorants with aluminium near our lymph mm. nodes. You know, mm. let's eat better. Let's actually look after our breast health and our general yeah. health, yeah. you know, and it, people sharing these hearts. Are they spraying yes. aluminium under their arms? So yeah. what other yeah. things that I've touched on deodorants, obviously, is that mm. something you agree with? What other things, lifestyle yeah. things, would you recommend to women to change? Yeah. Well, Body Dr. Elizabeth, sorry? I was thinking some body brushing. Would you recommend that for your lymph? Oh, for lymph improvement. Yeah, that doesn't hurt. Uh, Elizabeth Diber, Dr. Elizabeth Diber is the one that's done a lot of the science on uh, aluminium and breast cancer risk. Um, if your viewers, listeners want to look up. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. So she's, um, uh, you know, you find heavy metal deposits in breast cancer tissue. And you have to ask the question, including aluminium, you have to ask the question, well, how did it get there? And the obvious place is, well, you know, if women are rubbing aluminium containing deodorants in their armpits, where, you know, that's a lymph drainage point into the breast. Uh, you know, no one's saying it's causal, that's the cause of breast cancer, but it is present in breast cancer tissue. So it could be a contributing prudent. factor. It could be. It could, there's an association and it's prudent, therefore, not to put aluminium in your armpits, basically. So that's one. And the other things that, that, that are good for, for women to know, uh, that's another one. Um, we could talk a bit about underwire bras. Mm, uh, there, there, are, there are some uh, views that um, it might not be best to have a wire antenna-like structure under your breast, particularly in this world of ever-increasing Wi-Fi. Um, you know, if you have a piece of metal under your breast, there, there is, are some views that that can act as a, an, an antennae. And is wow. it therefore attracting these EMFs that were, that, this, that were surrounded by? Is it localizing some effect into the breast? That's one point. The other is the compressive element of an underwire bra, that maybe that there is some lymph compression there, which doesn't favor healthy breast tissue. So those two things, again, are, are debated uh, and not resolved, but there's, in, there's enough concern, I would say, about those two things not to wear, to try and avoid wearing underwire bras. And I think I hear from my, from my uh, female colleagues, not that I would know, but I hear from my female colleagues in the office that there are, there are now more and more options available to women uh, other than sports bras in order to not wear 
uh, you know, be wearing an underwire bra. The other thing I, I was going to say, I was going to say, if we weren't on Zoom, I think I'd be taking my bra off right now. But I better not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's difficult though because you know I I am someone who is fairly um, ample in that department, shall we say? And I find it difficult. You know, yeah. I have for yeah. years. I wore non-underwire yeah. bras, and then after yeah. having children, it was more and more difficult. Yeah. But the funny yeah. thing is, today I feel like I've been given a sign because I took my bra out of the um, washing machine and the wire had come out oh today today oh, okay isn't that amazing <laughs> wow okay so it would be interesting to look for some better bras actually yeah. Lauren, we should do that I'm, bit of research yeah bras. yeah i think That's i'm often asked I'm, I'm, I'm often asked by women who come to see me what if there are you know i know of firms or companies that specialize in you know, non-supportive, but non-underwire bra. And it's difficult, mm. I have to say, you know, if someone wanted a business opportunity, mm. I would say there it is, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I would do it myself if I wasn't so busy, you know, really. <laughs> One needs to run with that pattern <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, make these, these comfort support non-underwire bras available to women. Well, there we go. Maybe we'll do that one day, Tilly, and call it the Eccles bra. <laughs> <laughs> I would be honoured. I would be honoured. <laughs> so what's the next things in um, breast cancer prevention? Um, uh, eating more fruit and veg. Mm. So a more plant-based diet. Not, I'm not saying you have to be vegetarian, but we know there's an association with animal products and cancers in general. And I think we... Well, especially non-organic. Yeah. Um, animal well, products when the animal yes. proteins obviously have yeah. all the hormones and everything in them but there is also an association even with uh sort of meat eating and and incidence of of cancers mm. so it doesn't mean you need to stop eating meat but but if if you're if you're the dominant part of your diet is animal yeah what i say is it's it's prudent to shift it more over to have more plant-based because those phytonutrients in, in fruit and vegetables are amazing. There's thousands and thousands of them that work synergistically on different cellular mechanisms that seem to be protective. So they upregulate our antioxidant protection, they're anti-inflammatory. There are many ways that these phytonutrients can have an anti-cancer effect. And we're only really discovering this in the last years, the last 10 years particularly. Mm. So um, I would say the more of those phytonutrients that we put, and those are the color, bright colors in fruit and veg, the more of those we put into our diet, uh, the better it is in terms of cancer prevention. And you know, the idea of doing smoothies uh, in the morning, which are you know, a mixture of these colored fruit and vegetables, mm. is, is actually based on what we know about phytonutrition. Not a bad thing to be doing. I think people are, are waking up to that a bit because they're actually, there's a, a very popular hashtag at the moment is eat the rainbow. So, Of course. Maybe we yeah. should call it food yeah. instead of smoothies. Yeah. And, you know, whereas you, won't, you probably won't eat that volume of, of phytonutrition in fruit and veg in a day, you, you'll, you'll, you'll drink it in a, in a smoothie in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's incredible, isn't it? So those are, those are your main tips for prevention. They are. So, so vitamin D, iodine, phytonutrition, uh, and then the, uh, the deodorant and bras. Yeah. yeah. So the question, the burning question, obviously, is when I've looked into it, thermography is rather expensive. Mm. 
Um, how do we navigate this? Because, you know, the average woman can't afford the kind of prices that thermography is asking. Um, obviously, mammograms are free on the NHS. Mm. Um, and this is the problem that most people are coming back to me with. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, that's all well and good, Lauren. Thermography sounds great, but how do we afford it? You know, how, how are we making this or how are we going to be able to make this more accessible? I know that's obviously part of what you're doing, trying to bring it to the forefront. But how much is it? How can people go about it? Is it becoming more accessible? Are the NHS going to implement it? Okay, so uh, NHS are not going to implement it anytime soon, as far as I, I can see. Uh, however, uh, um, you know, we're is that because they've of... already spent the money on the mammogram? Is that because they already have the mammogram technology or yeah. they need that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a large income stream. Mammography screening is a large income stream. That's part of the issue. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's burying heads in sand. Uh, as as uh, Peter Gertrude would, would, is also saying is that, you know, look, if, if something's doing more harm than good, the Hippocratic oath that we take as doctors is that we should stop doing it. And Let's we know do it. it's doing more harm than good. So first do no harm. Exactly. That's the oath that we all sign up to as doctors. So to ignore the science, knowing that mammography is doing more harm than it is good is wrong from, yeah. from a Hippocratic oath point of view. It's unethical. Mm. So we ought to stop doing it, um, is, is the reality. Uh, the, prob the cost is an issue. The cost is an issue. But like all of these things, the more it's done, the more the cost comes down. Now, part of my mission, having developed Thermacheck, which is an automated system, the reason I developed that, if I may just say, is because having done thermography, breast thermography for 15 years, um, I've used a, probably five different systems from around the world. And I've taken really the best of those and incorporated them into one system, which is computer assisted, which takes a doctor one minute to sign off a scan as opposed to half an hour, uh, which is what it used to take me when I first started doing it, because you have to construct the report manually. With Thermacheck, it's the computer does the thermal analysis. So I've made it really... Uh, easy for doctors to use. So this Thermacheck system is now at the point it's ready to roll out with other doctors who are interested in offering it to their clients. In the UK, Europe, this is where we're moving from a business perspective first, and then we'll look at the US thereafter. That's very much our 12-month plan. The reason I'm saying this is the more systems that are out there and available is the more the price can come down. Mm. Now we charge I think it's about 265 pounds for a scan and that's in Harley street. Right. Mm. And our overheads are killing in Harley street. If you are offering Thermacheck elsewhere outside of Harley street, you wouldn't need to charge that. But my point is that the more volume that there is, the more likely it is that the cost can come a, a lot lower than that. A lot actually, that's not that's not a large amount of money i thought you were going to say like a thousand pounds or something well it used to be that I, when i first looked into it about five years ago there was a clinic in harley street asking for a thousand pounds and then my mother-in-law looked into something and it was 600 pounds so that really is um yeah. affordable to a lot still not for a lot of people but that well, is an awful yeah yeah and we with the other thing we do is we we have uh we often have uh concessions on costs 
to make it available uh, to women. We have a concession on cost to women uh, in the 30s and 40s because a lot of them don't come. Most of the women who come are women who are the mammogram age but prefer to have something else other than a mammogram. We're trying to attract younger women to come and be, be more proactive about their breast health. And we do that by offering, uh, I think it's, uh, I'll be corrected by my practice manager on this. Uh, I think we offer 20% off wow. for younger women if they want to come for a scan because we're trying to encourage this to be done at a younger age than the mammography age. That's the whole point is so that we can look at breast health much sooner than that 50 cutoff point. And the majority of our listeners are women in their 30s and 40s. So I think that that's an amazing point. And, you know, I hope we'll, def we'll obviously have your details in the show notes. And hopefully, okay. Good. Um, you know, that will encourage people. We also, started when we started doing this, we were we I think our price point for thermography was 250 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I started doing this 15 years ago and we're still only charging 265 pounds. Right. So what the point is we, 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 want, we, have, we have purposefully tried to keep the cost mm. set and low, low enough for women to afford it. Given we are a private clinic, yeah. um, you know, we, 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 we have tried to not move the price up and, and we try to keep this accessible to most women as much as we can. Yeah, and I was just going to say that what you what you then recommend for people to do once you've had the results isn't expensive because you're no. saying don't no. eat more fruit and no. veg, take no. some iodine, which we know costs about ten pounds per month supply. So even though maybe that initial consultation is two hundred fifty pounds, actually after that it's not an ongoing cost unless no. something came up, and in which case you probably wouldn't mind coming back for another check, and you know. Then how does that work with follow-ups? Because this was something my mother-in-law asked me to ask. Yeah. Because um, she's very interested in this. Um, mm. If you have a scan, obviously with mammograms, you're asked to go back once a year. How often would you recommend having thermography, being that people are having to pay more money for it? We, ideally, uh, I say to women, even if they have a normal thermogram, try and come back in 12 months. Because it's like, you know, we're supposed to go to the dentist every six months. Who does? I don't. I go once a year. Uh, but that's being proactive. You know, that's making sure I don't have a problem. That's avoiding a problem. So in the same sense, being proactive about breast health, we try and encourage women to come every 12 months. A lot of them do, by the way. Uh, even women who have normal scans come back 12 months later because they signed up to maintenance of breast health, not abnormal yeah. breast scan so yeah, it's have a loyalty card or something yeah. Yeah. Loyalty yeah. Scheme. yeah yeah we we should have that we don't by the way but we should have your practice that. managers listening then <clears throat> yeah <laughs> they they do <clears throat> it's not a loyalty card we do give <clears throat> excuse me we do give women who are already registered patients of ours i think a 10 percent discount on future scans anyway it's not really a loyalty card but it's just yeah. Uh, it's it's um, encouragement to come back yeah yeah it is and, and the respect for them being you know long-term clients of ours yeah amazing. I mean, it's all really really amazing i think so many women are gonna come away from this and immediately want to contact you i'm conscious obviously that we've still got a huge topic to focus on which is the bioidentical hormones and a lot of people listening are mm -hmm. Um, approaching menopause or thinking about you know hormone changes so let's get started on that mm -hmm. 
Okay. I'll let you take the lead. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, well, bioidentical hormones, uh, I suppose the, well, where do we start? Maybe start with this, is that, is that why do we need them? What are they? And why should we even consider them anyway? I mean, we've got HRT out there. Why, why what's so special about BHRT? Is, which is an abbreviation for bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Well, first, I, first thing is women can have intrusive menopause symptoms. So if we start there, and 80% of women will suffer some form of, of symptom at menopause. And a lot of the time that can be intrusive and it can be physical or emotional, mental. So half of women will suffer from an emotional disorder secondary to menopause. And that can be depression, anxiety. Uh, those are the classic ones. Um, um, you know, mood disturbances. Uh, apart from the, the more, the better known physical symptoms, so the hot flushes, the dryness, uh, the skin sagging, all of those things that happen when hormones decline. So it's not surprising that women seek help uh, with these symptoms, which can be intrusive. The problem with using uh, normal hormone replacement therapy or conventional HRT uh, really emerged from the Women's Health Initiative study, which was published in 2002. And what that clearly showed is that uh, breast cancer increased with HRT, um, uh, deep vein thrombosis increased, uh, risk of heart disease increased um, with conventional HRT. So a lot of women, when that report was published, took themselves off HRT. There was a, a, like a mass exodus away from it. Yeah, I remember. Women, women were just not prepared to take that risk uh, for the alleviation of their symptoms. Now, unfortunately, what happened subsequent to that was that all hormones of all forms got, got labeled with high risk. Yeah? But what people did not see uh, and wasn't revealed in the press is that after 2002, there were a lot of further studies which, which attempted to make clear where the risks were coming from with HRT. And this was, and, and actually those findings have not really been published very much in mainstream media. But let me highlight what they were. First of all, the two key things here are the, are, is this. If I could summarize this, because it's a massive topic, but the two th key things that came out of that further research on HRT were this. When you combine synthetic progesterone with estrogen, you get increased risk of breast cancer and deep vein thrombosis. Well published. When you combine natural progesterone bioidentical or body identical progesterone with estrogen, guess what? There's no increased risk of breast cancer or deep vein thrombosis. So that what did we learn from these studies? That the nature of the progesterone used is critical to increase risk. And when you use natural progesterone, there is no increased risk. Do you remember seeing that as a headline in any newspaper? Uh, I don't. Why do you get the natural progesterone? So obviously, the HRT is sold in a, as a pill, but how do, you, how do you access the natural progesterone? Can you ask me that question again in about two minutes? Yes. Yeah. 
because I, what I just want just to complete what I was saying is the other thing that came out of the, the research uh, that I'm talking about post 2002 was the, the fact that if you give estrogen orally, it increases risks of clots, uh, it increases risk of breast cancer. And the reason for that is the body breaks down estrogen orally through the liver and breaks it down into estrone, right? There are three main estrogens, and this is another part of the story. When people talk about estrogen, there isn't one, there are three main ones. There, there are estrone, estradiol, and estriol. And women produce all three of them. And the body is able to convert estradiol into estrone and estrone into estriol. So there's interconversion. Now, when you take estrogen orally, it's converted mainly into estrone, which of the three estrogens is the bad guy of the three. It increases, uh, it causes uh, uh, breast uh, activation, stimulation of breast tissue. So it makes, increases risk of breast cancer. Estradiol, with the other one, does, does it less. Estriol, even less than that. And there are reasons which I probably won't have time to explain behind that. But what we found out from subsequent studies with estrogen is if you give it transdermally through the skin or, or bypass the liver, it, it is much safer, doesn't increase risk of clots, and is less likely to be stimulatory to the breast tissue. So, so two sides to the further research giving natural progesterone and not giving estrogen orally are absolutely critical to the safety of HRT. So the good news for women is that they can have hormone replacement without it increasing their risks long-term if it's given in the way that I've just described. Now, coming back to, to, to the question, which was, what was it again? Oh, I just wanted to know that, so how do you get hold of the natural versions uh, of yeah. So, so, right. So there are available from GPs, there is natural progesterone is available. In the UK, it's available as eutrogestan. Eutrogestan, and that is an oral form of natural micronized progesterone. All GPs can prescribe it. If, if your listeners uh, who are taking HRT uh, go to their GP and say, look, I want to change my synthetic HRT to estradiol gel or estrogel, which is bioidentical estradiol, and eutrogestan, U-T-R-O-G-E-S-T-A-N, which is micronized progesterone, they would effectively be taking bioidentical hormones. Mm -hmm. So even without coming to someone like me that prescribes tailored BHRT, because we have a compounding pharmacist that tailors it to the individual rather than a one dose to suit all, yeah, which, in, which is, in my experience, doesn't work. You know, it, it helps. Her. But if women just did that, they would be taking a body identical form of, of estrogen and progesterone, which would not be increasing their risk. Yeah, wow. Okay, so, so it is available. There are forms, it's, there are restricted numbers of forms of, of BHRT available on prescription. Uh, from from GPs, but they are, those two are available. Okay, that's great. We'll have to put those in the notes. So, what is what are you doing in your treatment then? That's different than than women just getting. I mean, other than obviously you're you're tailoring it to their bodies. Yeah, I think that those. So, 
if you go to a GP, you rarely will they measure your levels of hormones, your baseline levels, or measure them again once you've been on the hormones. That doesn't happen. So the hormones are doled out, that's it. Whereas normally a doctor who prescribes BHRT like me, they will measure your hormones before you start them and at time points after you start taking them in order to find the right optimal level of hormones for you. The additional thing that doctors who prescribe BHRT do is they don't just prescribe um, uh, estrogen and progesterone, which are the two main female hormones. They'll also prescribe things like DHEA, which is supportive mm. of your anabolic function, your lean mass, your energy. DHEA, not DHA. Uh, right. DHEA is a master hormone that, that men and women produce declines in the 30s. It's the first hormone to start declining with age. So DHEA. It's a parental hormone that has a lot of anti-aging doctors prescribe it because it's a general hormone supporter. Also supports the adrenals and supports the thyroid function as well. And that declines with age as well. So women who are menopausal that's will often have low DHEA. The other thing that, that, that women have low levels of is testosterone. Uh, so rarely is that prescribed in conventional HRT but testosterone is important for muscle tone and women's libido. And one uncommon symptom, menopause symptoms are loss of libido, loss of sexual function, loss of sex drive. And that can be helped not only with estrogen, but also with testosterone. Mm -hmm. So BHRT is, is, is more broad in, its, in, in the hormones that are being replaced than conventional HRT. And those are the, those are the main differences. And is there a, a, a kind of a functional medicine approach with this as well, like you do with the, um, the breast health, you're kind of offering nutritional advice with, yeah. the, with women obviously yeah. going through menopause. It's a, a huge, huge part of that is nutrition um, and, and obviously giving the body what it needs. So is that also a part of your treatment? Yeah. I mean, women, uh, women who come to me for, for either come because they've got intrusive menopause symptoms or they come for better aging. If they come for better aging, part of that service is to look at uh, some of their other health markers, very many of which, such as inflammatory markers, vitamin D would be included in that, homocysteine, other markers of health other than the hormones, uh, and, and doing something about those other markers if they're out of balance. Uh, so so uh, from a longevity point of view, particularly. So... Um, Remember, I must say this, anti-aging in my book is not just to do with the external. Anti-aging is about how you slow the aging process internally. So that means lowering inflammation, uh, looking at those markers, lowering that, because one of the other theories of aging is that you have more inflammation as we get older, looking at, anti uh, at, at, at free radical stress. So uh, again, that's where nutrition, antioxidants in the diet comes back to phytonutrition, plant-based nutrition, rich in antioxidants. All of these things can have a role in helping us to age better. So part of the discussion generally, uh, when you have a woman coming in her 50s, often they'll be concerned about uh, how rapidly they're starting to age. It's very pertinent to be addressing things other than hormones, like, you know, make sure you, you, you have plenty of antioxidants in your diet. Uh, let's lower any inflammation that we measure. Uh, and, and certainly if it's there, one of the reasons for follow-up blood tests is to make sure that we are reducing that so that we measure these inflammatory markers again 
that were previously high and lowering them. So again, that's being proactive and, and you're taking a, a person who may exhibit risk factors in terms of you know, a, a more rapid aging process. You're looking at those risk factors and you're, and you're being proactive about them so that the aging process is, you can't stop it, but it, it, it's slowed down. But when you're talking about anti-aging and the way you're speaking yeah. about it, what you're actually saying is if you live healthily, your body ages more gracefully. Yeah. Your body, you know, your body Absolutely. just does what it's meant to be doing at the Absolutely. right times. Yes. You're not having Absolutely. these awful symptoms. You're not getting these awful, you know, all, all the kinds of symptoms that come with you know, aging because right. you're looking after your body. So really that's what it's all. When we're talking about anti-aging, we're not saying you know, Botox or all these, we're talking about living healthily to age in the way that your body is physiologically yeah. supposed to be doing. Exactly. And, and, uh, and, and that's a combination of uh, nutrition, lifestyle, hormones, definitely as well. Mm. So, so uh, the, the hormones do come in. And the good news is that if you do use BHRT, you can replace them, get the benefits, the anti-aging benefits safely without the risks. Um, the other thing to say about uh, BHRT is that is that it, they can be used topically. Right. So, in we know that women who replace estrogen and progesterone have better skin, higher levels of collagen in their skin. But you know, we've also found that if you apply uh, some of these uh, bioidentical hormones topically on the skin, guess what? They help to rebuild collagen mm -hmm. so from the outside in. So if inside out, outside in, uh, these, these uh, hormone creams can be used to get a, a nice anti-aging effect on, on the skin. Right. I'm coming over now, actually. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Tilly, you're a great example of living healthily and then seeing, I mean, you know, you're 47. Sorry, should I have said that? I know you don't care. No. No, I don't and, you know, you're, I, let's say, aging very, very beautifully, slowly, that, you know, your skin's amazing, you're healthy, you know, and that's because you live healthily. So I think that's hugely pertinent. One yeah. question I did, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say as well, I think that, like, um, I've definitely increased a bit of um, weight-bearing exercises as I got a bit older as well, because yeah. I know that yeah. for, for, you know, there's things, yeah, there's lifestyle things that you do to, to improve. And we didn't talk about exercise, but of course, you're, you're making a very good point again that, that you know, that's, that's part of it. You know, we, we should all be doing some regular yeah. Uh, exercise. Yeah, no, and I love that too. Yeah. 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 Another question I had from my mother-in-law was mm -hmm. when you're on HRT mm -hmm. and you come off it, your symptoms return. Is it the mm -hmm. same with this or is it because you're kind of giving your body what it needs slowly, slowly as you edge out of the menopause process you've we've already kind of given your body what it needs and also i suppose by living healthily and following the ideas about just you know supporting your your body your yeah so you mean do, so how long do you do, do you carry on do, is there like a level after a few years where you might take less of one hormone or do people yeah say? there's it, it yeah it's it's a it's a common question this um the answer, and, and it's different with, with each individual woman. So there's one side of this question is, how long do you need to take hormones to stop the menopause symptoms? And, it, and it's true, if you wean them off after you've taken them for say five, 10 years, uh, would the symptoms still be there? It depends on the individual. 
Uh, with some women, no, they won't, they, they'll no longer have menopause symptoms. They definitely shouldn't stop the hormones abruptly, even if it's BHRT, they should be weaned off. Yeah? But you know what? I must tell you, in my experience with women who come to see me, they don't want to stop. I was going to say that. I can they don't want to stop because they think, look, if I, I feel so good on this, all my friends say, what are you doing? You look amazing. And what's happened to you? Um, uh, if I can take these and they're not doing me any harm, yeah. why do I want to stop them? More women say that to me than ask me about coming off them. It's interesting. Mm. And do, do men, do you have men coming to see you? I think you do for yeah. the same sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. They often come because their wives come first. Yeah. <laughs> and, their partners, <laughs> and, and their partners send them in. Um, sorry to say, but usually men don't, don't, are not as proactive about their hormonal health as women. And that's because, uh, you know, men's hormonal symptoms, the sort of manopause, if you like, are a bit more subtle. You know, the grumpy old man syndrome is true. When men do lose their libido and get grumpy, um, moody, these are the sort of symptoms in men. They, they tend to creep up without too much notice whereas in women it's wham you know they can have majorly intrusive symptoms with men it's much more subtle so i think that's one of the main reasons that men probably don't think as much about their hormonal health as women do um but it's often the women who who do well on hormones that say why don't you go and let him sort you out as well you yeah know, that's right. usually the scenario I think it's um, an amazing thing to be speaking about. And um, I know a lot of people are going to be so grateful to hear that there is an alternative. So thank you for offering that. Um, before we end, um, as a doctor in the field of um, someone that understands, you know, a functional medicine approach, we'd like to hear your views on COVID if you're happy to give them very quickly. If that is, if there's such a thing on giving quick views on COVID. Uh, yes, I can, give a, I can give you my perspective on it. Um, as you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, discussion around this. Um, I think it's true to say the numbers don't quite add up. Um, what we've learned about, uh, first of all, I think it's a real virus. Okay, that's, that's the first thing to say, because there are some debates as to whether it is or it isn't. Mm. Uh, I think it is a virus. Um, what we've learned from doing antibody tests in the last few weeks, actually, and uh, this has come out of several countries doing it, is that the infection rate with, of COVID is much higher than we think. A lot more people have, have been affected with COVID-19 um, and have been asymptomatic. You know, they've had no symptoms, and yet they have evidence that they've had the virus because they've raised antibodies. So what that has told us from the studies is that the, inf the, the people, number of people infected is 50 to 80 times what's being reported. The impact that has is that the mortality rate is not 3%. Mm -hmm. It's less than 1% and nearer 0.1, 0.2%. .2%. So that's good news. It means that actually the mortality rate from COVID-19 is very similar to seasonal flu. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's what the, the, the data is showing. You know, yeah, the, and anyone the, in the field, anyone who's not associated with large pharmaceutical 
companies, Dell Big Tree, Peter Gotch, they're all saying the same. Yeah. These, these are my yeah. trusted resources, right? Yeah. So yeah, but that's what the science is showing. You know, you know, you 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 hear people in mainstream media talking about you know let's or uh, WHO let's talk from the science. This is talking from the science. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we made speculations and we used computer models. Uh, which happened to overestimate the situation. And now it's becoming clear from further research that that is the case. Mm. So, okay, there are people dying from COVID-19. There are people dying. But the point is that there are, the, the other thing that's being uh, taught, uh, suppressed, I believe, is the, is the natural solutions to this. Absolutely. There's been, uh, none. There's been none. And, the, you know, the government no. have not no. come out and said, let's educate people on how to no. actually allow their bodies to accept a virus without it affecting them too badly. Yeah. It's, exactly. it's actually quite shocking that they haven't pushed that. I mean, I have read something about vitamin D being, you know, being shown to be good at preventing you know, bad cases of the co of COVID and and vitamin C being used in in China and look, people have talked about that, but not not a lot. But when did you see that as as uh, you know headline news? No, it was. It's uh, not in the mainstream news. No, no. no. So some of the other work that's emerging now, and this is one of the videos I'll be doing uh, imminently, because as more research comes out, it's becoming clear that that there is a clear association between vitamin D levels and people's risk of severe infection with COVID. Uh, and it, it, it's absolutely clear from the latest research. So it, it raises the question, um, if, you, if you had more vitamin D, would that reduce a risk? The, the, the studies are suggesting that you are much more likely to have a mild case if you have normal vitamin D. And actually, your vitamin D levels go down as you get older, don't they? So maybe they do. Well, vitamin D levels go down if you're obese, you're older, you have darker skin, um, and uh, you have comorbidity. So you have another disease. So this is and where those are variant. all. Those are the, all the people that are running into trouble with COVID nineteen. Yeah, and this is where all the variants. Is that coincidence. Come in. Yeah, because <laughs> people who have comorbidities or people with underlying health conditions mm. are not getting out as much. So they're not getting natural vitamin D as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and by the time you're 70, your production of, of vitamin D is 75% reduced. Mm. So look, elderly people have low, generally have lower levels of vitamin D and they are more susceptible. People with darker skin produce vitamin D six times less rapidly than people with pale skin. Why is that? It's because of the melanin pigment in the, mm. in the skin. It block, it's blocking the effects of the, you know, we make vitamin D from the action of sunlight under the yeah. skin. It actually causes conversion of cholesterol under the skin. Cholesterol is the precursor of vitamin D. So it's an effect on the cholesterol where vitamin D is synthesized. So um, for me, you know, when you think about this from a philosophical point of view, you know, we, we weren't born with vaccine deficiency. We weren't born with antiviral drug deficiency. Mm -hmm. But many of us are suffering from vitamin D deficiency. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, from a philosophical point of view, it raises the issue of uh, something that we're designed to have versus something man-made. You know, I think if you break it down as a philosophical argument, 
we have an, a molecule which we're meant to produce in sufficient quantities that will give us protection, not just against viruses and IMR immune system, protection against cancer, anti-inflammatory effects, so aging, a molecule that we are now discovering more and more and more does more than strengthen bones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, the, the work that's emerging now is again emphasizing how critical a molecule vitamin D is. And, it's, and I think it's critical in the COVID sense, the research is showing that. And you mentioned Tilly vitamin C, um, been vilified, press are suppressing it, but there's a lot of published science, even from the 1930s, showing that, that vitamin C uh, in higher doses has antiviral action. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's very pertinent, I think, at this point in time, that, that if, those two, if people addressed, this is my view, and, and maybe we will end with this, my view is that if, if people optimize their vitamin D level by taking four or 5,000 units a day, that sounds a lot, but vitamin D experts are saying that's what we should be taking. You produce 20,000 units from 20 minutes exposure in the sun. So 5,000 units is, is nothing. Mm. Studies have shown you can take up to 10,000 units a day completely safely for many years anyway. So 5,000 units with vitamin K2. Yes, that's so it's important. important to take that because it stops you getting any rogue calcification, which is the only toxic effect of vitamin D that's been described. So four or 5,000 units of vitamin D with vitamin K2. And you took three to four grams of vitamin C a day. We could all get back on the road. Yeah. I, I honestly believe this lockdown could be lifted. If you're going to get COVID, get it but have a mild case of it. Absolutely. I think these molecules would actually protect us and, and stop us having severe effects of something like COVID. And like you said before, because if, if it shows that people have, a lot more people have been affected or, and have been in contact and produce antibodies, that means that actually when the lockdown, when people do start going out, a lot of people will have already had it and so yeah. won't suddenly get sick, which is what people are fearing yes they go and 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 if you've naturally had it the, your your immunity against it is much better than if you're for example if you're vaccinated against something we know from the history of vaccines that they tend not to produce long-lasting immunity no, that might be good for the that might be good for the for the pharmaceutical industry because you need to be revaccinated but it's not good for, uh, for long-term immunity. And when you have an, a natural infection, you tend to produce a much longer lasting immunity. Yeah, we, I mean, that's, so, you know, basic science and, you know, everyone knows that. Yes, why it's, it, it's right. difficult to constantly have this subject be brought up as contentious. However, yeah. I know, or as a conspiracy. Like, yeah, can, that's right. That's right. Let's put on our tinfoil hats. That's but, right. you know, with the, the COVID stuff, we could go on for ages and talk about all yeah. the different aspects of it. But we don't want to make the show about that because... You've given us some really amazing, expansive information that we want people to be able to take away um, without kind of over, overshadowing that. That's very much. interesting what you said. I think the points that you made are very simple and very clear, and, and they, they are the points that are coming back again and people are hearing again and again. You know, that's, Absolutely. You're not saying anything that anyone else is, hasn't said. You know, that's the, yeah. that's the yeah. belief, isn't it? That is the belief. Yeah. Yeah, it's the common sense stuff that has to get out to the mainstream, to the masses, for people to kind of stop with the fear as well. You know, every 
holistic practitioner and i'm talking about holistic from every sense of the word you know i would consider you you are you know a scientist you you are still holistic because you're taking the physiology of a human being into account so every single holistic person in the world i've spoken to and i've spoken to many over the last few weeks and months are all saying the same as what you're saying everyone is agreeing this it's just a shame that the masses this information isn't getting out to the masses and the fear is still what's dominating us but let's allow this to be a place of light and positivity and hope that we're giving people the information to move forward without that fear and um to end we always do this um what are we into thing um which we kind of told you about before um and you know just mention something that we might be into this week whatever it might be that's um enhancing our lives in some way um so i know you had something that you wanted to share with us you're still talking, you're talking to me, are you? I'm talking to you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I think it just has to be that because, it, uh, as I say, I'm working on a, a, a short video to put out. This I'm hoping to put it out in the next few days, actually, uh, this thing about uh, vitamin D in the context of COVID. But, but, you know, in my experience, we work with breast health, better aging, now COVID. This thing about vitamin D... The more yeah. I, 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 I study it, the more I learn about it, is the more I think it's just one of those molecules that nobody should have a deficiency or insufficiency in. It yeah. does too much positive good in the body to be deficient or insufficient in. And my, 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 I would say everybody should know what their vitamin D level is. And if it's insufficient, deficient, correct it by taking the appropriate supplement. Yeah, and get out in sunlight, right? And get out in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. So where where can we find that video? When's it going to be ready? Uh, I'll almost definitely launch it on my own website first, um, and it should be uh, it's scripted. Uh, it's just for me to sit down in front of Zoom and record it. <laughs> yeah. So which which I'm hoping to do, uh, four month old baby allowing. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, you know, when there's very little background noise uh, within the next day or so. So I'm hoping by next week it'll be up. Oh, and we can right. share it anyway when it comes That'll up. That'll be great. Because, yeah, well, we'll, yeah, we'll make sure we share it on our Instagram and everything. We'll put it in the show notes with the link to yeah. your website when it's ready, people, because we'll be, we'll, this uh, will be going out shortly. So um, okay. and when it's ready, we'll alert people on Instagram. Super. Super. Tilly, what are you into this week? Well, I was going to say two things quickly because I was thinking about what you said about the, the vitamin D supplements. And actually, this in this lockdown with the kids, we every day, and I never used to do this really. I very rarely take supplements. Occasionally, I'll take them. But now, the, the last six weeks, um, all of us are taking vitamin C, zinc, probiotics, um, you know, vitamin D, and I think we, it's funny because everybody wants, the kids want to take them all take them. I feel really well. <laughs> I do feel really well from it. So um, that's, that is definitely, I'm definitely a, a more, I'm going to be more consistent with taking them, especially in the winter. I think I'll be, you know, much more careful than I have yeah. been because I've really got, really noticing the difference actually. And the other thing that I'm really into is uh, sourdough baking. And it, oh, it's, yeah, I'm really jealous of your sourdough. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm never going to question spending £3.50 on a sourdough loaf. It's so labour intensive. It's like two days. It's literally a two-day process. Getting the yeast and then you have to turn it over about 100 times and then you have to prove it overnight and then you eat it the next day. I mean, it's literally, it's literally like a full-time job. 
but make wow. enough bread for the whole house. But I'm sure by the end of this, I'll be, I won't, I'll stop. But it is, it has been quite a fun thing to, to get into. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah. How about you, Lauren? What are you into? Well, I'm, um, obviously I've said it in the, the, the intro, um, I've been navigating trigeminal neuralgia, which has been uh, one of the most intense journeys of my life. And um, one of the things that has got me through, other than this unbelievable holistic neurologist that I have been just so fortunate to have found, um, I've, I'm, I'm putting it, a lot of this down to CBD. So I've been taking CBD oil. Um, and that's, I think, I mean, it's definitely a culmination. And we said we're going to, we're actually going to, in a few days, record an episode about my trigeminal neuralgia protocol because I found this amazing protocol that's really helped me through it. So, and I always say it's never one, one modality in isolation. It's an integrative approach. So there are other things alongside the CBD that are helping, but particularly this week, that's what I'm into. I haven't taken CBD up until now, even though it's been, you know, such a kind of buzz thing because um, I haven't had a need to, but now I do. And um, I'm just really kind of grateful for, um, plant medicines available to us and that I'm constantly learning about so um, yeah I'm taking the CBD I'm taking one from Just Botanicals um, and another one from a place called Hug um, by a company called Cytec um, both of them have been lab tested and looked into kind of their purity and everything so yeah there you go Thank you so much, Dr. Eccles. We're so, I mean, I'm so excited to put this episode out because I know so many people are going to just find it hugely expansive. Yeah. So just... And I'm, I'm going to come see you really soon as well, once we can, as soon as we can. <laughs> I reckon my mother-in-law will be as well. <laughs> uh, great, super. Well, I look forward to, look, look forward to seeing you and uh, it's been a pleasure to be uh, part of this podcast. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. And good luck with the baby. Sending so much yes. love. Thank you very yeah. much. And thank the you. video. We look forward to the video too. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I'll let yeah, you know. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. 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 We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthy Happy Home. We're so grateful to every single one of you who chooses to press play. Please connect with us over on Instagram at Healthy Happy Home Podcast. We have a heap of amazing giveaways and discounts. And remember to use the hashtag Elevation Nation. And if you enjoy our show, why not tell your fellow elevators about us or people who you think could benefit from each episode message? Rating, reviewing and subscribing to Healthy Happy Home will also help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. Thank you to Mega Home Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Megahome.